Father God, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you, Father God, that you have such a timely message for us. We thank you for the Holy Ghost that is working over time to minister to us and, and to speak into our hearts and into our lives right where we are and, and, and meet the needs, Father God, that are here this morning. We thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the power and presence, Lord God. And we thank you for moving mightily on our behalf. And Lord, we come with expecting heart. We come expecting to hear from you a word that will encourage us, that will remove all doubts, that will build our faith, that will help us to see ahead. And Lord, for this we thank you and we honor you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen and amen. On April 15th, 1912, was the day that the Titanic had sunk. And at the time, that was really a shock and devastating news to the world. But what was just as devastating was that it was learned later on that there were three messages that were sent that said, watch out for the icebergs. But because it was such a nice day and, there was, and everything looked all right, the message was never sent. The warning that was supposed to be sent to the people that needed to hear this message never got it. And as a result, over 1,500 people passed away, lost their lives. What was also tragic in that fatal moment was the, the lifeboats on the Titanic, which was designed to carry 65 people, were only half filled. As a matter of fact, there were some boats that only had a handful of people. Meanwhile, there were several hundred people in the water perishing. And the people that were safe on these lifeboats did not want to turn back to help these people because it was too risky. Because you see, they were afraid that panicky people would get on the boat at the same time and flip the boat over. So the people that were saved and safe on these lifeboats kept on going. 1,500 people did not have to perish that night. But the people that were safe and saved on the lifeboats did not want to go back because it was risky. Sharing the gospel also has its risks. There's a risk of being ridiculed, being made fun of, being called Bible thumpers, holy rollers, or holy jumpers. There's a risk of being rejected by family and friends and relatives. There's a risk of being avoided by people. There's a risk of sharing the gospel, having people accuse you of being discriminatory, hateful, or self-righteous. In other parts of the world, the risks are even greater. Churches are being burned to the ground. Christian families' homes are being burned, sometimes with families still in them. Christians are being arrested, forced to renounce their faith. Many of them are beaten, tortured, even murdered. Yes, there are risks. But if someone is dying spiritually, offering them the gift of salvation should be worth the risk, don't you think? Yeah. 
This morning I want to, well actually I should say that my prayer this morning is for the Spirit of God to stir our hearts and to light a fire in our spirit and give us a zeal for souls. Because I know that you'll agree with me when I tell you that we are living in a culture that is fast becoming anti-church and anti-Christian. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so we have to understand that there are risks involved here. But tonight I want to talk to you about the gospel. Or this morning I should say about the gospel. Because understand that that the gospel is so significant for times such as this. It is not only significant but it is a necessity. And this morning I want to talk to you about how important this gospel is. And why this gospel is so necessary. And why it is such a, 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 a significant thing to get out there for the world. And we're going to talk about how effective this gospel is. We know that the word gospel simply means good news. And uh, it's so significant in the Bible because in the New Testament alone, the word gospel is mentioned a hundred times. So you know how significant and important that word is. And also the fact that the gospel has been prophesied several hundred years before Jesus was born. As a matter of fact, if you go with me to Isaiah 52 and verse 7, the prophet Isaiah prophesies about this gospel where he says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And this is a very popular and familiar verse because we read the same verse being quoted from the Apostle Paul in Romans 10 and verse 16, quoting the prophet Isaiah. Jesus, in uh, Luke 4, and, uh, chapter 4 and verse 18 and 19, if you'll go there, after Jesus left the wilderness after being tempted, he goes into a synagogue and he stands up before the people and he opens up the book and it happens to be the book of Isaiah. And he reads a specific verse of scripture from that book. And it was a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. And these were the words. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and a recovery of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. After Jesus read that, he closes the book, he sits down, and all eyes are on him. And then in verse 21, he speaks this word. He simply says this, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what he was saying was, Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus is the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he came to provide a way for man to be forgiven For all those who believe. However, the goodness of the gospel doesn't make any sense to the world. Unless the world understands the bad news of sin. Because we know that the bad news of sin is that all are guilty and condemned by God. The scripture says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news is that apart from Jesus Christ, men and women are eternally lost. That's bad news. 
And unless we understand the seriousness of sin, we will not think that the gospel is necessary. We understand that the punishment for sin is not only physical death, but a spiritual death, which the Bible describes as being thrown into the lake of fire or the, or the second death, and, uh, it, which is found in Revelation chapter 20. Why don't we go there and let's read that. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. In verse 14, it says this, that the death in Hades were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, which is eternal separation from God. But in verse 15, it says this, and anyone who is not found written in the book of, of life was cast into the lake of fire. I don't know about you, but that sounds like bad news to me. Jesus also makes mention of an eternal punishment. In Matthew 25, in verse 26, he says this, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So we see that Jesus makes two distinctions, two separate eternal existence. There's an eternal existence called heaven, and there's an eternal existence called hell. But the good news is that because, because God loved the world, not just parts of the world, but the entire world, because God loved the world, God had made a way for man to be forgiven of their sins, and he freed us from the penalty or punishment for sin. That's the good news. Jesus came to take our sins away. He conquered it and freed us from the sin that threatens to separate us from God forever. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. He is the only way to get to the Father. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, it says that there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can enter into the very presence of God except through him. So this gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news that anyone could hear. Don't you agree? But what a person does with that news will determine where he or she will, will, will spend eternity. But the gospel is a risky business. And that's because the gospel is unattractive to this world culture. How many of you agree with that? As a matter of fact, the gospel has never been an attractive message in any culture. But this is why this gospel is so essential, because it saves lives. And we need to understand that. We need to get a hold of that, saints. People are dying and heading to hell. People are drowning in their sins and are helpless and can't save themselves. This is why the gospel is so important. This is what God has provided us, us to, to give that gospel, to give that good news, so that people will not have to perish for eternity. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and listen to what Paul says about this gospel. Beginning in verse 1, he says this, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. He says, you welcomed it 
and you will stand firm in it. Verse 2 says, It is this good news that saves you, if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. Verse 3 says, I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture says. Now, the two things that I want to point out that Paul mentions about the gospel that are so important and so vital. The first thing he says that the good news saves lives. He said in verse 2, it is the good news that saves you. And then the second thing he mentions about the gospel is that it is the most important thing that you can pass on to anyone. He said in verse 3, I pass on to you what is most important. And that was also been passed on to me. That Christ died for our sins just as the scripture says. Then he goes on in verse 4, that Christ was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture says. And my friends, this is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. When he died, he took our sins with him. He not only took our sins upon him, but he also took upon himself the consequences, the punishment, the penalty for sin. But what does that mean to the believer? What does that really mean to us? And more importantly, what does it mean to those who have not heard the gospel? Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at, let's, get, let's look at verse 13. Paul says this, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And verse 14 says, And who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Paul is saying here that those, who have, uh, those that are saved have heard and believed the gospel. And those that have heard and believed the gospel were sealed with the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean to be sealed with the Holy Spirit? Well, in ancient times, when someone wanted to announce that a certain possession or property belonged to them, they would attach their seal on that property so that whenever someone sees that seal, they'll know who it belongs to. It's like cattle ranchers. When they have their cattle, they brand their cattle with a certain symbol or mark that represents their ranch. So whenever those cattle tend to wander off and somebody stumbles upon them, they see the symbol, they'll know who that cow belongs to. Well, that word seal indicates security. It indicates identification of ownership. So let me read to you Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, and I want to read that to you from the Amplified Version. Listen to what it says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not offend or vex or sadden Him. Watch this. By whom you were sealed, marked, Branded as God's own and secured for the day of redemption or the final deliverance through Christ from evil and the consequences of sin. And so that's what God had done. He sent his Holy Spirit the moment we heard the gospel and believed it. He sent his spirit to seal us or to mark us or to brand us. He has tagged us. He has branded us in our hearts the very presence of the Holy Spirit indicating to the world that we belong to God. And there can be no mistaking about that. 
And we know this because the Spirit of God testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. There's no mistake in who we belong to. We are marked and branded by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So every believer are sealed at the moment they hear and believe the gospel. Now let's go back to Ephesians 1 and verse 13. Paul says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So God is the one that seals. It is through Christ Jesus that we are sealed with, but it's the Holy Ghost who is the instrument of that seal. And we carry that seal wherever we go. Hallelujah. But look at verse 14. Because Paul continues to talk about this Holy Spirit. First he says the Holy Spirit is the seal, the mark, the brand that indicates that we belong to God. But then he goes on and calls him the guarantee. In verse 14 he says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. But what does that mean, the guarantee of our inheritance? Well, that word guarantee was used in ancient times to describe a down payment. When we put a down payment on an item, we are telling the clerk, the, the clerk actually what we're not, we're not just telling the clerk, we are promising the clerk that we are coming back to complete the transaction with the full payment. When the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee, it's God's promise that He was going to return to complete the transaction with the full payment or with the rest of the payment, which is our inheritance. Let me put it to you another way. Since we were born again, we have experienced the Holy Spirit throughout our lives. And think about all the wonderful experiences that you've had with the Spirit. How He helped you. How He guided you. How He protected you. How He enabled you. How He revealed things to you. Remember when the Spirit of God prompted in your spirit to pray for somebody. And you didn't know what to pray for exactly or what the problem was. But because you obeyed the Holy Spirit, you laid hands on that person. And then when you open up your mouth and begin to pray, all of a sudden these words start coming out of your mouth and begin to flow life. And you know that's not coming from you, but you know it's coming from the Holy Spirit. And everything that's, that's coming out of your mouth is touching every area of need of that person that you're praying for. And that person is being blessed, but you know it's the Holy Spirit. Or when the Spirit of God prompts you to call somebody, you don't know why, but then you call that person and then begin to realize that the person has a need. And then the, the things that you're saying to that person is ministering to them. And the words that are flowing out of your mouth and coming from inside of you is blessing that person. And providing that person with strength and faith and encouragement. And you know it's not coming from you. But the Holy Spirit. Or when you're about to make an important decision. Or you're about to enter into a new relationship. Or, or make some sort of financial transaction and then the Spirit of God puts a check in your spirit telling you, don't do it. Don't go into that relationship. Don't make that transaction. Don't go in that direction. And then you find out later that the Spirit of God was protecting you from ruining your life or making a bad decision or, 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 or and sparing you from pain and, and heartaches and disappointments. 
Think of all of these things that the Spirit of God has done for you since you were born again. And then realize that these experience is just a taste of what's coming. Think of all that you've experienced and then multiply it a million fold. Every experience that you and I have had since we became born again by the Holy Spirit is just the first dollar of a million heavenly dollars that are yet to come to pass. That's what the scripture says, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. In other words, there's still more to come. Hallelujah. There's still more to come because God promised to come back with the full payment or with the rest of the payment. But the Holy Ghost is just a deposit. And every one of us carries this deposit in us. It's real. It's the real thing. It's the real deal. But the Bible says it's just a taste a foretaste, a tip of the tongue of the spoon for what's in store for us. And 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, that is, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Hallelujah. We have been sealed with the Holy Ghost, marked for life, indicating that we belong to God. And we are also have a deposit of the wonderful things that are in store for us that are still to come. Glory be to God. So imagine what the first five minutes will be when you first enter into the fullness of your inheritance. Imagine what the first 15 minutes will be like when you finally come into the fullness of your inheritance. Imagine what the first day The first week, the first month, the first year, the first thousand years when we first come to the the fullness of our inheritance. That is the hope that's been laid up for us. That is the hope that is waiting for us. And the Spirit of God, hallelujah, has secured us for that day. That is good news, my friend. But what about those who don't know Christ? Do they have an inheritance waiting for them? And unfortunately, the answer to that is no. Look at Ephesians 5 and verse 5. It says, For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, no covetous man, who is an idolater, and you can probably add so many others to this list, has any inheritance to the kingdom of Christ and God. My friends, do we understand now why the gospel is so important? There are people out there who have no hope. They have nothing to look forward to except eternal punishment. But the question is, how will they be able to hear this good news if there's no one willing to go out there and share that with them? I said to you in the beginning that during a time when the Titanic had sunk and you had all of these lifeboats carrying half half the people rather than carrying the full 65 and how they all refused to turn back to save those that were still in the water dying but it was later learned that there was actually one boat that did go back to save some people Jesus wants us to be that lifeboat he wants us to be the lifeboat to this world we are God's lifeboat according to the scripture when Rome accomplished some great things 
They would send heralds, which were special and official messengers that represented Rome and the emperor. And they would send them throughout the cities and towns throughout the empire to announce this great news. Well, you and I have been also called to, to be ambassadors, to represent Christ to everywhere that God sends us, whether it's in our homes, our neighborhoods, whether it's in our job place or wherever, to represent Christ as ambassadors. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Begin reading in verse 18. It says this, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says that this is, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them or holding our sins against us, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Verse 10, uh, 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Every one of us have been called to represent Christ as ambassadors. An ambassador is an official representative of a country to another. Excuse me. And we, like the Apostle Paul, have been called to represent Christ. And this carries a great responsibility because we're not called to represent Christ as an ambassador for our government. We're not called to represent Christ even from our church. We are called to represent a great kingdom of God that is not of this world. And we are called to represent and bring the message of the King of Kings. But Paul asked a question in Romans 10 and verse 14. How can the world hear if no one is willing to go to proclaim this good news? Paul says in Romans 10 and verse 14, and every time I read this, it brings a conviction in my heart. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him, meaning Jesus, if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? In verse 15, and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. And you know, that word beautiful is an interesting word because it's not what you think it means. When I think about beautiful, I think about my wife. When I think about beautiful, I think about my grandkids. But that's not what the verse is saying here. The word beautiful in the Greek literally means timely or the right season. So this verse should actually read this way. How timely are the feet of messengers who bring good news. God has given us, ambassadors of Christ, a timely message for all season throughout the world. He has provided us with this message for the right season. And, and let me say this, every season is a right season when it comes to bringing the gospel because the gospel is a timely message. Think about the time when you first heard the gospel and it changed your life. It was a timely message for that time and day. And you needed to hear it because it changed your life. And you wouldn't be here enjoying this message. Look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 29. Let's look at how effective this gospel is. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 29, we read the story where Philip happens to see this Ethiopian eunuch sitting uh, in, in his chariot. He was reading something. And in verse 29 says that the Spirit says to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. 
And so he goes over there in verse 30. Philip runs to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? How many people are out there that are looking for help to understand the scriptures, to understand truth? And then he asked Philip to come and sit up with him. And then if you skip down to verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture preached Jesus to him. How many of you know it takes us to open our mouths to bring the gospel? The gospel cannot be sent by osmosis. You can't telepath uh, messages from your mind to someone else's mind. They have to hear from your mouth. They have to hear the words, the good news. And of course, the rest of the story is that the eunuch was saved and then was later baptized because he came to the point after hearing the gospel from Philip that now he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And because of that, he was saved and baptized in water. But all of this would not have been made possible had it been for one messenger with a timely message. The eunuch's life would never have changed had it been not, had not been for someone who was willing to go to that person and speak the words of life that changed and transformed this person's life. We are called to be ambassadors in every season, in every situation. But sometimes the situation can be a very difficult one. Nonetheless, we are still called to be ambassadors even in those difficult situations. Let me give you an example. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 verse 19. Listen to Paul. He's, he's making a prayer request. He says in verse 19, and pray for me. And this was his request. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and Gentiles alike. Now stop there. How many of you have ever prayed this prayer before? Asking God for, for, for the right words or for the, for the utterance or, or for wisdom to speak to somebody about the gospel. Now I want to show you that when Paul made this request, I want to show you the condition that he was in or the situation that he was under when he made this prayer request. Look at verse 20. He says, I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Notice that he did not pray, Lord, get me out of this situation. His prayer request was that God will take him out of prison. No, his prayer was that God give him the right words to confidently and boldly speak the gospel to these people and that God will help them to keep on bringing the gospel. There are many of us who are in difficult situations. Maybe you're in a, a very tough workplace and, and you've asked God to get you out of that situation. The environment that you're in is dark, is negative. People are cursing and swearing. People are undermining, backbiting and gossiping. It's a very terrible place to be. And you probably prayed and asked God, Lord, get me out of this situation. But it could be that God still wants you to be an ambassador, even in, under those conditions, and still represent God. Paul says, help me to find the right words to speak to these people. 
He says, help me that I may still keep on speaking to this people. He says, I'm in chains, but I'm still preaching and I'm still representing Christ. What an example that is. See, Paul wasn't looking to get out of prison. He was looking to be a blessing in prison. Let me, go, let me show you another uh, example. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says this. Pray for us. Again, he's making a prayer request to the Colossian church. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. So you see that Paul was still in, in, in prison. When he wrote this letter to the Colossian church. But notice he wasn't praying, Lord, give me many opportunities to get out of prison. Pray that God will give me opportunities to get out of this situation. No, he said, give me opportunities to speak about this mysterious plan concerning Christ. He says, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. That is to be our prayer. In any given situation... Even when he was in prison, even when he was in chain, in whatever condition he found himself in, Paul never stopped representing Christ in that situation. And he never stopped bringing the message of the gospel. He didn't ask to be released from prison. He was asked to be a blessing in his prison. He wasn't asking God, release me so I can preach the gospel to the rest of the world. He was saying, Lord, give me the right word so I can preach the gospel in this world that I'm in. What world did God place you in? What world are you in right now? And how difficult is the situation that you're in? God has called you to be ambassador in that exact situation. He has a timely word that he's given to you that people need to hear. Because people are dying and are heading to hell. As I get ready to close here. The gospel is so vital and so necessary. Paul believed in the gospel. He believed how effective the gospel was. He believed that the gospel was powerful enough to save lives. That's why he says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He says, it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Every believer, everyone here are called to be witnesses. And the most important thing is, is that as a witness, you and I have been equipped to be effective witness. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus himself says that you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be witnesses unto me. We not only possess the power, which is the gospel, but we also possess the power to bring that gospel and be witnesses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, go there real quick in verse 4, just to show you how determined Paul was. He said in verse 4, in everything that we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. He says we patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. Then in verse 5, he begins to talk about some of these troubles and some of these hardships. He said, we've been beaten, we've been put in prison, we've faced angry mobs, we've worked to exhaust, exhaustion, we endured sleepless nights, and we've gone without food. Now, I'm sure that many of us have not had to deal with these calamities. 
So the question I have is, what's our excuse? Then, he, then if you look down in verse 8, this is what he said, and this is where our attitude should be. Verse 8, he says, we serve God, whether people honor us or despise us. Whether they slander us or they praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. But he said, yet we serve God. We remain as ambassadors and representatives of Christ. We continue to bring this gospel of the message of the kingdom because we know it saves life, lives. And so we cannot afford to be ashamed of this gospel. Go to Mark chapter 8 as I close. Christians who refuse to witness are saying to the people that they choose not to witness to, you can go to hell. Now, I know that sounds a little harsh. I know that sounds crude. But understand that hell is not a, a curse word. Hell is a destination. An unpleasant one. And we need to make up our minds that we are not going to be ashamed of the gospel but we're going to stand up and be witnesses no matter what the conditions are and no matter what the risks are. When a witness is called into court and they refuse to testify, they're held in contempt of court by the judge. When we stand before God, who is our judge, will he hold us in contempt of court because we refuse to testify? Think about that. Jesus says in Mark 8, verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let me close with this story. I know I think I said the closing three times already. <laughs> but this is the real closing, so... This is about a story of a young girl who was ashamed of her mother. And the reason why her, her mother, she was ashamed of her mother was because her mother had this very big, ugly scar on her face. And uh, this should motivate you to be a witness. And so this little girl was so embarrassed and so ashamed of her mom because of her appearance, because she looked horrible. Her, friend, her, her, her daughter never brought her friends over to the house. And her, and her daughter never invited her mom to any of the school functions because of the scar on her face. And so one day, her, her, the mother asked the daughter, Honey, why don't you ever bring your friends around? Or why don't you ever invite me to any of the school functions? And so the daughter says, Well, hun, Mom, it's because of the scar on your face. She says, I cannot bear to introduce you to others. So her mother says to her daughter, let me tell you something that I've never told you before about the scar on my face. She says, one day I went out to, draw, to, to, to take her some things outside. When I looked back, the house was on fire. So I dropped everything and I ran into the house. And I grabbed you because at the time you were just a baby. And when I got there, there was flames engulfed around you. But I snatched you out of the crib just in the nick of time. But as I was running out of the house with you in my arms, this beam from the house that was caught on fire fell on top of me. It struck me in my face. 
and, it, and, and the beam seethed on my face for a period of time before I finally got it off. But I had thrown you out to safety before all that. And she says this, I wanted you to know, honey, that the next time you don't want your friends to see me, that the only reason I have this scar on my face is because I was saving your life. When we are ashamed, of, when, when we're reminded of Jesus, he has some scars. He has scars on his hands. He had scars on his feet. He had a scar on his side. Let me tell you how he got those scars. You and I were headed to hell. You and I were on our way to be separated from God for the rest of our lives. But Jesus looked down and he did not want us to suffer the consequences for our sins. So he turns to the Father and says, I'll go. And he came to earth and he was laid up on the cross and they nailed his hands to the cross, nailed his feet to the cross and stuck a spear in his side. So when we are reminded, or I should say, so the next time we refuse to tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. The next time we have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone and we refuse to do it, remember how he got the scars. Remind yourself how Jesus got his scars on his feet, on his feet and on his hands. That should motivate us to want to be a witness, regardless of this, the, uh, the culture that we're in, regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstances, and regardless of the risks. We have been called to be a witness. We have been called to be ambassadors. And we've been given the, the message, the timely message, that is able to change lives because people are dying and going to hell. And God is relying on you and I to be the messengers, the heralds throughout the cities and towns and wherever we are, wherever God has placed us to bring this good news to a dying world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words, Lord God, of encouragement, but words of, that, that are challenging. And Father God, we accept this challenge. Help us, Lord God to speak boldly and confidently your gospel. Help us, Lord God, to understand the seriousness of sin and the consequences of sin. Help us to understand, Father, there are people out there that need to hear this message, people that need to be saved, people that need to be delivered, people that need hope. And Lord, you chose us to be ambassadors. You've chose us and equipped us to be effective witnesses on this earth. So Lord, help us to not only have the courage to bring forth this gospel, but to continue bringing this gospel. Lord, that you give us many opportunities to bring this gospel. And Lord, that we will not miss these opportunities. But Lord, be able to share this message, this timely message that we know will save their lives. And so, Father, we thank you, instilling us the Spirit of God, who is the power to help us to become the powerful witnesses that you called us to be. 
And Lord, for this, we thank you and we honor you today. Lord, help us to cast our own personal fears, our own inadequacies. And Father, just help us to be courageous enough to stand and, and share this message. And Lord, for this, we thank you. We honor you today in your precious son's name we pray. Amen and amen. Just before we release you, let me just give you an opportunity for those of you who have not given their lives to the Lord, who don't know Christ Jesus, who never heard the gospel before. Go